This is Paul Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Weekdays at 10 on 710 ESPN Seattle. At Gallant Says on Twitter. Text into the show at 710-710. Oh, hello and welcome aboard the Paul Gallant Show on Tuesday, May 25th of 2021. I am Paul Gallant and this is the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle. A program you can jump aboard by texting in 710-710. On the Mac and Jack's Brewing Company tax line, you can also tweet me at Gallant Says. Just when I thought I was out on the Seattle Mariners, they pull me back in. At least for one night. I got to be honest. I don't expect the Mariners 4-2 victory over a team like the first place Oakland A's to be something that happens a whole lot more the rest of the year. But. Just about every reason that you could possibly have to watch the 2021 Mariners was on full display last night. It might have all just randomly come together for one night and one night only. But, yes, a 4-2 win, just a four-run performance, gave you a little bit of everything. And I think most importantly... It may have seen the end, May, of Jared Kelnick's little slump after he went yard on a crushed ball to right field. Kelnick blasts this way back. Kelnick gets every piece of this out of the steps. Number two in the show for Jared Kelnick. Slinky, anyone? 4-1 Mariners. Well, maybe the day off did him some good. It did. And if you heard him before the game at media availability, he said all the things that you want to hear out of a young player, the proper perspective for the struggles that he has been going through and the proper perspective for a day off. Because some players, I feel like having the day off, might think to themselves, man, maybe I'm just not getting it. Start overthinking things as they sit on the bench, watch and watch until they eventually pinch hit later on in the game. But Kalnick said that he actually took that as a moment to stop, slow things down, process everything. He said before the game that he just feels like he has been unlucky. Last night's performance with a walk to open things up, which you want to see more of. The Mariners are very good at drawing walks, if nothing else, this year. Then after that, a deep fly ball to right field. It was a fly out, followed by the home run. It was a nice progression. He's got to be able to do this on a consistent basis, but that's the number one reason you were watching last night. There were other things, though, that were also very exciting. Kyle Lewis, looking like a star, also drawing two walks, diving catch in center field. He gets a home run himself to left center. Mitch Hanniger had two hits. I would like to see that a little bit more because two hits for the Mariners, that goes a long way, especially when they're only managing... Six over the course of the night. Another hit, Ty France, back from the injured list with that wrist injury. He had a great start to the year. The wrist injury happens. Wasn't looking the same at the plate. Hopefully that can re-jumpstart him. And Yusei Kikuchi. It stinks that he left the game with back spathoms, right? Of course, the Seattle Mariners have something bad happen. Over the course of a night, that was pretty good to end a six-game losing streak. He went six innings, just three strikeouts. That's a good A's team that he went up against. Hopefully the back spasms aren't too serious. We'll probably find out more about that either 
later today or tomorrow when we have Jerry Depoto on instead of on Thursday at 8.30 on Danny and Gallant. And then the last thing, look, Rafael Montero comes in. Oh, my goodness, every single time, every single time. It's just stress immediately. But Rafael Montero is relieved by Eric Swanson. Montero pitched a little bit too long, argued uh, one of our faithful listeners, Luke Arkins. Maybe that is the case. You can only leave him in for one inning. Eric Swanson comes in, he walks a guy, and then he strikes out the side. It was a beautiful way to get out of a jam. Nice night last night for the Seattle Mariners. Might be an anomaly. I don't expect many more of these on a regular basis, but you saw just about everything that you want to see. Here is my question. Of all the good things that you saw in last night's Mariners win, what do you expect to see more of? 710-710 is how you get in on that conversation on the Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text line. You can also tweet me if you want, at Gallant says. So while we wait for your answer on that, I'm a little concerned about something that involves the Seattle Seahawks. And guess what? It has nothing to do with Russell Wilson's future. Hooray! It more so has to do with something that the Seahawks are choosing to do, which I get. There is a bit of a back and forth over whether or not it's entirely necessary for players to show up for OTAs. For those who don't know, these organized training activities that NFL teams set up are supposed to be voluntary. If you don't show up, it's not going to affect whether or not you get paid. But generally, the understanding is you show up anyway. This year's a little bit different after last year with COVID-19 canceling it all. I think a lot of teams are starting to think, you know what? It's not necessary for us to go. And the Seahawks are one of a handful of teams, some of whom are good, the Green Bay Packers, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who are saying, yeah, the veterans, we're just not going to report for this. It is a decision that I think is being done because they hope that the NFL Players Association will see it and the rest of the league will see it and that maybe more teams and more veteran players, if they all look at it the same way, if they all look at it as voluntary, that maybe it becomes normalized and there is less pressure on veterans to show up for, again, things that are voluntary. And you can go and work out on your own. But I do have a question about whether or not this is going to affect the installation of a new offense. The Seahawks have a new offensive coordinator. They have a new offensive lineman in Gabe Jackson. They have a young wide receiver in Dwayne Eskridge. It's one thing to study the playbook by yourself or in Zoom meetings, group meetings that the Seahawks have. It's another thing entirely to be able to actually walk through it on a practice field. And I... I'm a little concerned that the Seahawks might be a little further behind the eight ball as they install this new offense with Shane Waldron at the start of the year. I kind of wish that they were actually showing up for these voluntary workouts, maybe just for this season, just with this new offense. You don't have to do it next year, but why not this year? Don't you want to give yourself every single edge going into the season? But look, I'm just a simple sports talk show host. I decided this morning to ask Brock Hewitt if he felt that the Seahawks maybe need to get there to get that offense purring as quickly as possible. Think of Robert Woods and Cooper Cup. Think of those guys in that slot. Think of the the third downs that they've run against Seattle and, and done so very successfully. Think of the number of times on little option routes, on routes that have multiple layers to them uh, to, to attack zone defenses and third down defenses. 
those are those are the plays that that's the rhythm that's what you want to get into that's where you would sure hope you know that tyler would participate in some of these otas we know he is he talked to you guys about how complicated the system is but actually getting on that field doing it against defenses doing it near full speed right all of those things to me are important you're never going to you're just never going to convince me as the son of a former coach. You're never going to convince me that, yep, I, I don't need practice time. I'm going to be just fine. Always a little bit different when it's a quarterback talking about it versus the average player. But I'm with Brock here. This is a complicated offense per Tyler Lockett. This might be putting you a little bit behind the eight ball. Is this a massive concern for the Seahawks? No, it's not. But I do think it's something that, as the season begins, might be something that leads to symptoms like a sluggish start offensively as they try to figure things out. It's not how you start the season. It's how you finish. We learned that from the Seahawks last year and from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers last year. But just this offseason, do the voluntary workouts. Get that offense going as quickly as possible. Some texts in 710-710. Of all the good things you saw in last night's Mariners win, what do you expect to see more of? Another text. I expect to see more nights where we hit above 200 as a team. Ha ha. It's a nervous laugh at the end of that one. Yeah, I'm with you there. Another text. I expect to have more complaints for fans. Well, that's a bummer. Another text. Kyle Lewis basically saying, I'm still here. Don't sleep on me. I'm part of the future, too. He was the most impressive guy last night. Two walks, the sliding catch, the home run. And while he does strike out a lot, he is the guy that has, at the very least, right now for 2021, I think the most potential. We'll see with Jared Kelnick and what he's able to tap into in, in, in years down the road. Right now, Kyle Lewis is probably your best overall player. Mitch Hanniger, of course, is the guy that has been hitting the most. But I, I feel like Lewis, maybe this is the start of a nice little stretch for him. Maura Dooley is behind the glass, everybody. And it is 10-12. That means it's time for What's Trending, brought to you by Kings Heating and Air with Maura. Good morning, afternoon, Maura Dooley. How are you now? Good morning, afternoon. How are you, Paul? I am doing okay. This hour of the Paul Galan Show is brought to you by Advanced Hair Restoration. Struggling through the uh, saltwater gargle again today. Some people on the text line, we got all sorts of doctors who were like, oh, Paul, you might have this, you might have that. <laughs> it's like the absolute last thing that I want, so please Worse don't. Worse than WebMD, you're going to leave here thinking that you're dying? Yes. Okay. Have you ever gone down a WebMD rabbit hole? Um, you know, I like I won't do it so much for myself, but I told you recently that I did it for my dog once. Oh, you like, did it for I, your dog? I was yeah. looking up something, and I was like, oh, no, I like this is horrible. And then it turned out she was fine. I feel like that's generally what happens when any of us go on WebMD. It yeah. makes you think the absolute worst. So I've been going on WebMD and checking about certain symptoms, and I'm like, wait a second, dry cough. And then since everybody has been Googling over the past year, Dry cough. Does this mean COVID-19? I got tested for it. So pretty sure it's not that because I feel pretty good. Otherwise, there's no fever or anything like that. But, of course, your worst assumptions always happen. Anyway, no one cares about this. What's going on in the world of sports? Well, Albert Breer reported in his weekly column that um, he has a list of the things that Russell Wilson supposedly wanted from the Seahawks this offseason. Number one, a new offensive philosophy that would maximize him as a player. Number two, a real high-end, ready-to-play addition to the offensive line. Number three, communication on the direction of the team from Carroll and Schneider. He reports that one and two were taken care of in Russell's mind as as far as hiring Shane Waldron as OC and picking up Gabe Jackson for the offensive line. 
But that three, that communication on the direction of the team from Carolyn Schneider is sort of a moving target. Like, we'll, we'll see how this develops. Three is interesting because Breer brought up a couple of quotes by Pete Carroll on the Rich Eisen show, and I think they were the absolute correct quotes to bring up. Those quotes essentially were Pete Carroll saying, yeah, certain guys on certain issues, I bring them in and I talk to them. He brought up Dwayne Brown. He brought up, he brought up Bobby Wagner. He brought up Richard Sherman in the past. He brought up Doug Paul Baldwin in the past. So he says that he talks to these guys from time to time and that Russell Wilson is also one of those guys. Russell Wilson seems to be of the expectation that he should be the person that not only is being spoken to on a more regular basis, but should also be able to do vice versa with Pete Carroll. When you're a head coach, that's just not the way that you, I think, will think, especially if you're one of the older head coaches in the NFL and have been used to the the game being done the way it has been. I know some people are going to disagree on how things should be handled on that front. My biggest question is, do you really feel that Russell Wilson has the expertise and insight to raise issues and consistently be bringing up issues that are actual real issues? And I think that's subjective. I, I think some people, especially the pro-Russ camp, are going to say yes. I think some others are going to say no. He, he, there are certain things that he just will not know. And that is, I think, where his frustration lies. I think he believes that he knows a lot more about the game than he probably actually does. I don't blame him for having that kind of mindset. I think every quarterback does to an extent. But if that's what he's looking for, I don't think he's going to get that from really any NFL situation let alone the Seattle Seahawks. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested to know what communication on the direction of the team from Carolyn Schneider means. Because I think he should be heavily involved with the offense and where that's going, but do they need to communicate with him what they want to do with Jamal Adams or what they – like, I don't really think he needs to know that. Do you think that's what he means by direction of the team? About I don't know. Like- it just seems like he wants more than what he was getting, and Carol says that he has been talking to Russ and has been taking his input, so I – feels to me like he does want more got a tight end got a wide receiver got an offensive lineman and you talk about the input that he would like okay so if it's not about the future of players on the team is it about the just the direction of it the team from a are they a contender standpoint because if you make the playoffs and you have russell wilson under center aren't you by definition maybe not a top contender to win the super bowl but always in the actual mix That is, I think, what he wants to have a little bit more of an answer on. Every team going into every single season, I think, is of the assumption that they are so close if they have a quarterback like Russell Wilson. And I feel like he doesn't necessarily feel that way. So these conversations are sort of pointless between both parties because Russ is going to say, well, I don't think we're close. And Pete and John are going to think to themselves, well, we're always right there. It's weird, difficult, but I feel like Ultimately, it's something that I feel isn't going to necessarily help out Russ if he does actually have that input and the answers that he's looking for. Yeah, well, and it's uh, he's in a situation where you can't blame him, but if you're in his shoes, you're always going to want to spend someone else's money, right? You're always yes. going to think we can add more, Yes, but they're not going to. They're like, we're good with what we have. We can compete like this. Would you want to get the truth? Because it seems like that's what he is looking for, like an honest, objective evaluation of the actual roster. I don't know that I would ever want to hear that from the guys who are in charge. Well, and at a certain point, it is a business. Like, our bosses at the very top aren't going to tell us everything about their vision for this organization and how they view the people 
you know, at our level either. Like there, there's some things they do have to hold close to the vest. Yeah. And I, I feel like if you tell someone, Mora, hey, we're not a contender this year. That doesn't help anyone. You, I, I think, always want to have in the back of your mind that it's possible. And, but and the good thing about Pete is I don't think he'll ever believe that. No way. <laughs> You're right on that. Front. Even if it was true, I don't think you could ever convince him that. Where with Bill Belichick in 2009, if you've watched that little documentary that they did, Belichick and Brady are on the sideline, basically talking about how, yeah, this team can't do bleep. It's interesting. It's an interesting moment between those two. That is what's trending, everybody, with more Dooley brought to you by Kings Heating and Air. This is the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle. 710-710 is how you text in. So if you got some thoughts on the things that Russell Wilson was looking for, you know how to bring them aboard. 206-421-3776 is how you call in. You can also tweet me at Galan says it's time for you to be heard. Your voice, your opinions. It's time to be heard. Every day at 1015 with Paul Gallant. Be heard. On the Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text line, Russell Wilson is the quarterback. He needs to focus on being the quarterback. He's not the assistant coach. He's not the coach. He's not the general manager. He's not the owner of the team. He is the quarterback. He will never view himself that way as just the quarterback. He won't. I don't think many quarterbacks as good as Russell Wilson will do that either. He views himself as the franchise. Do you blame him for that? I mean, if you are a great quarterback, you should have that kind of a confidence level. I won't blame him for that. I won't. I feel like sometimes he is a little bit insufferable in some of the things that he is looking for, but I don't blame him for thinking he is the franchise. Honestly, over the last... Five, six years? He has been. So I get it. When you are the franchise, you're probably going to focus on some more things, at least in your own mind. 710-710. Russell Wilson is like John Elway or Michael Jordan. Great player. Horrible general manager. Well, John Elway had a good start to his career as general manager, even though I'm not the biggest fan. Michael Jordan's been an absolute disaster as I think he's the owner of the Charlotte Bobcats. I'm not 100% sure, but I believe he is the owner. I don't know if he's actually the general manager. I think the more appropriate comparison that you want to make here is that Russell Wilson wants to be LeBron James. The problem with having somebody that has as much say in roster decisions as LeBron clearly has had over the last couple of years is that all of a sudden you might find yourself in a spot where there are no assets left. And then the guy's like, all right, I'm done here. Bye. He has essentially used you like, what, the giving tree? Isn't that a little children's book? There's this tree in the backyard, and the this little boy, and eventually man, just basically slowly chops it down. It's kind of depressing, right? I, I don't even know if there's a moral to the story other than, like, don't be a selfish jerk and, and use a giving tree for all that it's worth and then never give anything back. Yeah, I think that would be the moral. You're like, I don't even know what it's I don't remember it. Yeah, I don't really remember it. I just know there was a tree in the backyard. Honestly, there might be a good, nice little story at the end of it, but I feel like the dude just takes advantage of the tree. Uh, 710-710, the Mac and Jack's Brewing Company, tax line or 206-421-3776. Bet your butt that Mahomes has input in Kansas City on offense. He might, but I mean, Kansas City has a lot of weapons there, and Kansas City has a very clear direction with which they are going on offense. He has a million fast guys. 
Now, you could look at what they did on the offensive line and say that that was a result of Patrick Mahomes wanting things, but I actually think it was more a result of unfortunate circumstances for the Chiefs last year, which saw a bunch of injuries at the end of the year, turn that offensive line into, I believe at one point, the league's worst, at least considered to be the worst by some. Another text, 710-710. Russ just doesn't believe in himself. He needs a defense and a running game. That is what I'm hearing. Do you really hear that? I don't think that's what he thinks at all, in the slightest. Another text, why wouldn't Russell care about Adams and the defense? Russ was smart enough to know the D-line needed more playmakers before the beginning of the year. Well, it seemed like he wanted Jadevian Clowney back. He also wanted a lot more pieces on the offense, based off of what I heard last year. Playmakers. And I feel like he was more so talking about Antonio Brown. And I feel like he had to have been a little bit more realistic in that moment and thought to himself, you know what? The defense was the bigger problem last season. I was able to bring the Seahawks back into the game. But early on, they couldn't get any stops against Aaron Rodgers. And late, they have a couple of third and longs in the 2019-2020 playoffs. And they also couldn't stop Aaron Rodgers. Text in 710-710. Okay, we have some Giving Tree uh, answers. The Giving Tree at the end takes him back because the tree never stopped caring for the boy. Giving trees an analogy <laughs> for parents' desires to do anything for their kids. Just want them to be happy. I'm Paul Gallant. I'm hacking up a lung. This is the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle. Up next, the sports pit with the Gras. Don't go anywhere. It's 1030, and that means it's time to get in the sports pit. In the pit where all that stuff goes down, and if you don't have some freaking toughness... You're going to get your, you're going to, you're going to fail. Well, all At 1045, you get to pick from one of these three stories on the Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text line. A cringeworthy Russell Wilson story. Why this player, I don't get why he's considered a big threat to the Seahawks in NFL in 2021. Plus a sport you'd never expect has something special that other sports would kill to have. Pick that for your topic at 1045. But right now, joining me on the Mac and Jack's uh, thanks to Mac and Jack's Brewing Company, the one and only Dave Grosby, the Gros. Gros, how are you now? I'm doing good. Going good, bye. Good to hear from you, uh, man. How are you doing? Uh, not so bad. Not so bad. See, we got it this time. We got it with the letter cutting back and forth. There we go. We nailed it. Okay, now we can officially start now that we've gotten our <laughs> pop culture reference out of the way. Man, thank goodness for last night's Mariners game. And I don't want to get too excited about a 4-2 win, but it was over the Oakland A's, and we did see one really important thing in particular, hopefully the end of Jared Kelnick's early career slump. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's hitting 135 going in. So, I mean, it was was getting to be desperate time. And and, uh, after that, that in that Mariner Mariner like week last week, yeah, the the win was the win was important. You know, they have a hundred games left to play. You know, fans have seen too many times things just go wrong in a week, and and something you can look back and point to, and and you hope that that's not what that was. That was a good win over the A's, fourteen against the division, uh, so a chance to get in a little better shape in the division right now, and and definitely a chance to to get. Uh, it still blows me away, man. Monday of a week ago, it was you had just beaten Shane Bieber. Yeah, you were a game over five hundred. You were you were you were top of the league. You're looking to to make advances. You get the worst team in baseball coming in, who then no hit you. Then you Oof. get hit with COVID. Oh. Then you get beaten basically by one player in San Diego. Oh. 
and just get annihilated in three games. I mean, it, uh, you, <laughs> it couldn't have been drawn out any worse. So, yes, I agree with you. It was, it was badly needed last night, and uh, it was nice last night. So what of what we saw in last night's game against the Portland A's do you feel like is most sustainable for the games, I guess, ahead of us? There were there was Jared Kelnick's home run, Kyle Lewis looking like a star with a home run of his own, a sliding catch, Mitch Hanniger with the two hits, Ty France with a double in his first game back. As far as the bats go between Lewis, Hanniger, France, Kelnick, who do you think is going to be able to keep this happening going forward? Well, I think if you just look at what's been going on, it's Hanniger. I mean, he's been there all year. Has has been uh, been uh, in the home run race uh, from the start of the season. Has been consistent. Uh, so I think of those guys, he's the guy who's been the most consistent this year. Kyle Lewis is getting his chance to be. Uh, Kelnick has just you know overcome, made his first adjustment. Now the legal start adjusting back to him, and we'll see how that that dance plays out. The Ty France, you know, was good, so is a guy who you know can do it. Uh, we've seen him do it in a shorter period of time, but you know, really, in, in looking at him, um, Hanniger is the guy who's who's been the guy all year, and and the one they've been leaning on. And I would expect that he keeps it going, um, as, as he really hasn't hasn't had much of a dip at all this this year. I mean, he's just he's just been sensational his comeback season. You introduced me to the idea of the Dare to Dream Express, and you've also introduced me to the idea of expecting the absolute worst whenever good things happen for the Mariners. And, of course, we had to see some back spasms out of Yusei Kikuchi last night after yet another start where he was able to get through six innings. Yeah, he looked great. And, and you figure, you know, hopefully back spasms doesn't mean anything but, but that, back spasms. But, yes, that was very Mariner to have a guy throw another great outing and then all of a sudden – you look and you see him, he's waving him in, he's, he's, his back is bothering him. And that was the best news they had was it's just back spasms because Kikuchi's been good. Yes. I mean, he has been good most of the year. And, and uh, again, his velocity was, was touching 96, 97. Uh, guys just, I thought the stat that just blew me away yesterday uh, was, it was in the second or third inning when they pointed out when he's got two strikes on a batter, guys are hitting 100 against him. Wow. I mean, he is basically unhittable when he can get to that two-strike count. It speaks to the fact he doesn't get there enough. Yeah. You know, he, he just doesn't get there enough. But but um, when he does, he's unhittable. So I think that, you know, that was one of the things we talked about at the start of the year that, that had the break well for the Mariners. And one of the things you were looking for is this guy who you paid and he's been his third year should, should be taking a step forward. And as far as I'm concerned, uh, here in the middle of May, he has taken a step forward. I certainly feel the same way on that front. It would be nice to see uh, Rafael Montero take a step forward or just a step away from uh late game stop the fernando rodney impression stop the <laughs> fernando rodney impression we already had him we've already seen that we've already seen that drill where you just hold your breath to get him out but no he's uh, i know what you mean he, he he makes you nervous but uh he is he's had some good moments he's had some good moments but um you, I mean, let me let me ask you this: Are You going to put him in a game with a couple runners on base consistently? No, I don't want to put him in a game really, honestly, at all. And I feel bad saying that because <laughs> I don't think he's bad, but it just feels like when you put him into these pressure situations, I'm feeling a lot like I used to feel when I was in Houston covering Ken Giles, who had great stuff. But when you put him into a tough situation, he very regularly would do the absolute last thing that you wanted. Yeah, that was Fernando Rodney here in a year. He had one great year here, but the other years he did not. And and yeah, it's um, it, it, at least he's not closing at this point. I mean, you've got you've got Graveman in that role, 
But, um, you know, until things change dramatically, he's still going to be a guy who's going to go in when you're ahead. I mean, he's still going to be a guy who you're going you're to rely on in, in games where you're playing well in. And you're just going to have to live with it, I suppose. Graz, I don't know if you saw Kenny Maine's last performance for Sports Center. It ended in, I think, hilarious fashion. And I'm really excited to see what Kenny Maine ends up doing next. But he interviewed Aaron Rodgers. And Aaron mm-hmm. Rodgers was asked about his current situation in Green Bay. And this was his answer. I think sometimes people forget uh, what really makes an organization. And, you know, history is important. You know, legacy of so many uh, people who've come before you. But the people, that's the most important thing. The people make an organization. People make a business. Um, And sometimes uh, that gets forgotten. You know, culture is built brick by brick, the foundation of it by the people, not by the organization, not by the building, not by the, the corporation. It's built by the people. And I've been fortunate enough to play with a number of amazing, amazing people and got to work for some amazing people as well. And it's those people that build the foundation of those entities. For those keeping track, he said people nine times. Have you ever heard someone say people as much as that? Because the only thing I can think of is perhaps the Declaration of Independence. But I only say that because the first three le- three words, one of them is people. That's it. That's all I could think of. Yeah. it's um, <laughs> I don't know what people he's talking about. I mean, because people, you know, who need people are, are the most wonderful people in the world, I've heard <laughs> someone say in the past. It seems like it's a direct shot at his GM because – he talks about, you know, you, you ask, try and ascertain what he means by people. And first you think it's just players. But then he says it's guys you work for. Then he says it's guys from the organization. But then it's, you know, it's it's the important people. So I'm scratching my head if I'm in Packerland. Yeah, I, I mean, am he, too. He didn't show up to the OTAs, but I'm not, sure, I'm not sure exactly what he's driving at there. He went on further to say that he likes the players he plays with. He likes the coaching staff. He even likes Jordan Love. So he likes all of these things, and yet the people in the organization, it seems like it's a very select people that are in the front office. And my question, I guess, is do those people in the front office really affect the day-to-day life of Aaron Rodgers outside of the checks that he is signing, or excuse me, the checks that he is cashing every single week? And even then, when he's under contract, I I feel like there aren't that many conversations that happen between the two. It's weird to me that Rodgers is – so upset about it that it's turned into this when he has had so much success in Green Bay, specifically the last two years. I've got a suggestion for uh, Brian, whatever his name is, the GM there, the rest Gutekunst. of the Packers organization. Gutekunst, thank you. i got a suggestion for him. Take a look at what the Seahawks did with Russell Wilson and say nothing. Mm. Say nothing. There is no reason to say anything. Uh, just let it go. I mean, I, I don't know how you respond if you're the Packers, in a way that that's going to be satisfying to anyone, that let him have his shot in, let it, let him feel like he made his point. Don't say a thing. So I'll be curious to see if they're smart enough to do that because this is a trap. I mean, he's walking you into a trap because he's not being specific about who he's talking about. He's just uh, alluding to, to people, and, and there's just no reason to, to engage in this with one of your star players. Unless you're planning on trading him, don't bring it up anymore. Uh, to quote the... Um... Uh, wise, wise philosophers, uh, no doubt, don't speak. That's, that's, I think, what the Packers should do. I'm with you on that front, Gros. Dave Grosby, everybody, thank you so much, Gros, for joining me, and I'll talk to you again on Thursday.
Sounds great, Paul. Thank you, buddy. The one and only Graz brought to you by Mac and Jack's Brewing Company. Up next, okay, we're changing things up on the Paul Galant Show. You get to pick the next topic. So pick 710-710, Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text line from one of the following. I'll either talk about the worst thing I've read about Russell Wilson this offseason, why I'm confused about this player being considered the biggest threat to the Seahawks in 2021, and a sport that you'd never expect that has something really special that a bunch of other sports should kill for. One of those topics next, plus all of your questions. It's the Paul Galan Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to Paul Gallant. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Every day at 10 on 710 ESPN Seattle. The question I had for you, you get to pick from one of these three topics. The first topic, it was, I'm just going to give the spoiler of it. A cringeworthy Russell Wilson story. Here it is in a nutshell. Russell Wilson, the reason that he had the Raiders of Las Vegas and the Dallas Cowboys and the New Orleans Saints and the Chicago Bears on his list of teams that he wanted to be traded to was because he wanted to essentially glad handle rich people and potentially own an NFL team someday. Seriously, that's it. He wants to own a professional team someday, and he thought that going to those four cities would help him out. Dallas, I get. Vegas, I get. I do not get Chicago or New Orleans on that front. The third story, a sport that you never expect with something special other sports would kill to have. It's golf. Golf has good old-fashioned hatred. Bryson DeChambeau, Brooks Kepka, that back and forth is fantastic. All sports need more of it. Athletes, I feel like, are all about trying to say the most politically correct things these days. I get it. No one wants to have an entire mob come after them on the internet. But honestly, I could go for a little more dislike between players, especially in the NBA. It is so annoying to me that the Boston Celtics are as friendly as they are with Kyrie Irving, who is playing against them in a playoff series. You see him down on the court, and the Celtics are helping the guy up as if he is still on their team, a team that he basically, I would say, ruined. But the story that you guys picked was option two. This player, who's considered a big threat to the Seahawks and the NFL in 2021. I read a passage in... Peter King's football morning in America yesterday, and it just annoyed me. Not just because a little bit later, he had his power rankings, and his power rankings had the Colts, the Chargers, and the Dolphins, respectively, ahead of the Seahawks in the power rankings. I think that's crazy. It was also because of this passage right here. Troy Aikman told Sam Farmer of the Los Angeles Times the other day, that Matthew Stafford could be the NFL MVP this year on a Rams team with a very good defense and a smart play designer and play caller like Sean McVay. Aikman's right, says King. Forget what King says. Troy Aikman feels that way. When Brock Heward joined us for Danny and Gallant in Blue 42 this morning, he thinks pretty highly of Matt Stafford as well. Mark Schlereth, who's been covering the NFL for a while, now based out of Denver, doing it for ESPN for a long time. I think he might be at Fox now. I'm not 100% sure. Whatever the case, he feels really good about Matt Stafford. Everyone likes Matt Stafford. Everyone in the NFL seems to believe that this guy is a really good quarterback and that he's just in a really difficult situation right now. That might be the case. 
I'm, though, of the belief that if you're really one of the best quarterbacks in the game, you are going to be able to lift your team up on a regular basis and make them a legitimate contender. Stafford's done it once. We've seen Joe Flacco do it more. We've seen Matt Ryan do it more. And now all of a sudden he goes to Los Angeles to work with Sean McVay in an offense that's really good. Is that situation in Los Angeles so much better than the one in Detroit that all of a sudden Matt Stafford is a threat to win MVP? I don't know about that. And part of me looks at Matt Stafford, and it's nothing against Matt Stafford, a guy who, quite honestly, I have not watched a whole lot of because he's been playing for the Detroit Lions for much of his career. But I look at him and I think, wait a second. We're talking about the same guy that suffered all of the injuries possible over the last two years? So last year, he's really tough, but he played through a partially torn UCL in his thumb, his right thumb, he's a right-handed quarterback, a rib injury, a right ankle injury in the second half of this past season. He'd also torn his UCL in his left elbow. I guess there's a UCL in your elbow and in your thumb. He injured the back of his left knee, too. That's all last year. 2019, he suffered a season-ending injury to his back while diving for the end zone. 2018, he played through some sort of small fractures in his back, too. So he's really tough. He's going to be MVP now that he's actually playing for a big-time team. He's going to be able to make it happen on the biggest of stages. It's weird that there seems to be this certainty among those who cover the NFL for a living that Matt Stafford changing locations is all of a sudden going to mean that he's an MVP candidate. I'm sorry, I just don't buy that for a second. I feel like he could be good. MVP? I'm with you, but I've... I feel like I've always been a little bit of a Stafford hater. Some of mine, I think, comes from being burned in fantasy football by him. So I, it, I will admit that I'm biased. But I just always felt like he got so much credit for they give him like the bad team excuse. But he also had Calvin Johnson for so long, he did. which is like a cheat code. And he would put up numbers. But then when they would get in big games where they really needed him to win, I feel like and he does. Ha- I apparently have a lot of fourth quarter comebacks, but I felt like when they really needed it, he would pull some bonehead play and throw an interception. And uh, I just don't, I don't see him as clutch. We'll see how he does this year. Now that he, everyone thinks he's got the team around him and that's why they're giving him this vote of confidence that he could possibly be the guy that everyone said he was the whole time he was in Detroit and just didn't have the team around him. He's had over 10 interceptions every single year of his career that he's played the full season. He played eight games in 2019. He had five interceptions. He turns the ball over a lot. Is that going to win with Sean McVay? I mean, Jared Goff, not exactly a playmaker. It worked for Jared Goff. But do you want to have a guy that's a little bit more of a gunslinger there? I I don't know. I I, I don't know. Morin, I appreciate that that, that side of it. I, I know many people who have been burnt by him in fantasy football. I know that one person that I am friends with in my fantasy football league would consistently have his team nicknamed, uh, Stafford Anity, I believe. And he bought and he, and he drafted Matt Stafford every single year. Text in, Stafford's going to get punished in the NFC West. That's another good point. That's, I mean, really good pass rushers in the NFC West. Uh, a couple of things to wrap things up before we hit the road. 710-710. This one is was just a cleaning up a, a children's story. Uh, Paul, don't back down. The giving tree is a terrible moral. Throw, writes another texter, throughout the tree's life, the boy uses him for all different things. Swing, boat, he falls in love under it. Then she dies, he's old, he doesn't have anywhere to sit. So he uses the stump. 
the way I look at it is don't use your parents for too much. Don't take advantage of them. Because if this is a supposedly some story, it's an allegory for parents and, and that parents are going to do anything for you. Well, don't make them do everything for you. How about that? Is this a new thing? Are we ending with like a moral of the day? No. I don't know. Maybe we should. I'm like, play the, the, the more you know music in the background afterwards. That would be a fun way to wrap things up. So there we go. Cleaning up children's books. That's what we do here on the Paul Gallant Show. Lots of thanks to go around for today's edition of the Paul Gallant Show. Of course, to Maura Dooley, behind the glass, to the Gras, who stopped by in the sports pit, to the texters, to the tweeters, to the callers, although we didn't have any today. I wonder if we'll have some tomorrow. Corey and Piala. If you gotta, if you call in, please add more substance to your take. That's all I ask for. But we appreciate you calling in. So long, farewell. I am merely Paul Gallant. Jake Stacy is next.